We are recording. We are live. Hello, everybody, and Hi, welcome. Jerry. Hi, Chuck, and welcome to the Associated Firefighters of Illinois podcast. As we established last time, season season three, episode yeah, two, we do have seasons now. We are prestige worldwide, <laughs> uh, and we are here uh, with a couple of great individuals. We're going to allow them to introduce themselves in a minute uh, and kind of explain how this came to be. Um, but of course, we want to do uh, 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 thank Chicago's Bravest Stories podcasts, Fire and Iron Media, which we share. Uh, they are gracious enough to allow us to come in and record this silliness um, for all of you to listen to. So, with that, Chuck, say hello. Hello, yeah. hi guys. I, I don't I don't know if this is good news or bad news. Are you ready? <laughs> and I was just privy to it via an email on Saturday from our eighth district vice president. Okay. Mark Sanders. Tell us. Lay it on us. Concerning uh, media awards and our podcast that we uh, submitted. Yeah. We got second place again. Are you shitting me again? Who did we lose to? I don't know. It's not even public yet. But so it's not. It but we're we we're in the know. We got. We're the place. second. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yep. Just for our guests in the room, um, we are in a desperate one-sided battle with California for the <laughs> AFF, for the <laughs> IFF social media awards. We, we're like the gnat that pokes at them, and they don't even respond. We've mm. tried so hard to pick a fight with California. Mm. I didn't. Know, I didn't tell you, Luke. Did I? No. And then we are openly, uh, we're trying to sit, we're openly trying to sabotage Indiana's podcast. Yeah, Indiana just guests. started a podcast. Yes. That's correct. Like you're going to see so. us dress. If you can't win against Indiana, <laughs> I don't know what to you're say. Gonna, you're going to see us dress like, like John Wayne commandos and sneak east over the state line and like destroy their radio tower like or something. <laughs> so, um, I don't know what to say about that, Chuck. And maybe, I mean. We yeah, we're to, just second fiddle. We're I, just always. It's going to be them again. It's going to be fucking California again. I would assume again. so. It is. How many states have a podcast? Yeah, that one us. That's what has. That's the is real that podcast. Yeah, that's what we. Okay. There's <laughs> only two. There's a category of one, and we came in second. All anyway. right. So, um, thanks, Chuck, for just ruining the vibe. I appreciate that. Okay, I'll bring it back up. I can also say that we had a couple of affiliates um, submit. Submit uh, media awards, and one of them is Carbondale and the Bad Axe Ladies. Oh, really? Oh, look at that. If you want to do a segue. That is an amazing segue. So Bad Axe Ladies, which Mm -hmm. would segue into the two ladies that we have here. So let me just explain to you uh, out there listening in Radio Land how this came about. So I was fortunate enough to be asked by this organization to come in and speak. I think they do a seminar twice a year. Uh, we're trying to do every three months. We're trying to do every three months. Yeah. I think, but for now it's been, it was, was like We've, twice a yeah, year. Right. Uh, and this is the fire service women of Illinois. And they were uh, gracious enough to ask me to come in and speak about all sorts of legal issues as it pertains to women in the fire service. And it was really incredible. It was actually one of the most engaging audiences I have come across. Everybody was, was involved in asking questions I'm, I'm going to date myself here, but there was a, a, a younger woman in like row two that reminded me of Horshack and Welcome Back Cotter because she was asking questions 
and fully extending her body oh, yeah. in the chair and yeah, raising yeah. her hand as high. And it was like seventh grade civics class. I was like, and you? And yeah. she, had a, she had a question. So it was great. And there was all sorts of questions. And I came to the realization that uh, I know this sounds like so stupid, but it's like I never – you never really like thought about it, right? You're just like, okay, well, you know, get in the fucking rig and here's your gear and go clean the bathrooms and learn how to pull hose. And I just never really, right. I, I mean, you know, there's obvious differences, right? Uh, you know, you don't smell as bad as, as we do, but other than we that, were. usually, yeah, usually. yeah, usually. Yeah. Uh, but I really, we, I never thought about it. And, and all of the questions in the, in the seminar was fantastic. And all of the questions were really, really good, actually. And like I said, very engaging. Uh, so I talked to Chuck and Luke and they jumped on board immediately with um, asking you guys to come here and, and really just talk about women in the fire service. Uh, in, in, and I have questions and, and know that you guys have some points you want to get across. So please introduce yourselves for the record. So um, my name is Christy Lynch. I have been in the fire service for 25 years. Uh, I currently work at Bolenberg Fire where I've been for 20 of those years. Um, I do hold the rank of lieutenant, and I'm a part of the Fire Service Women of Illinois group. Um, I currently am their vice president, and we're excited to be here to talk just about a bunch of different topics related to women in the fire service, and I brought my partner along here, Rika. Wonderful. So, yeah, local 3005 yep. member. Yep. I uh, get to the pleasure of working with Bramwell. Yes. This is amazing. Yeah. He's like a cross between Gizmo from Gremlins and Teddy Ruxpin at the, any moment. With a very loud voice. <laughs> with an extraordinarily Shout loud out. voice. He's just – I just want to yeah. squeeze his yep. cheeks every time I see him. He has mm-hmm. big lungs. He is, he Yeah, he's, he, he has big lungs. He does. So, And please, introduce yourself for everybody out there. My name is Ray Cabadoni. I'm with the ELSA Fire Department. I've been there just over 22 years, a lieutenant. There, been in the fire service right around 24 years been a member of Fire Service Women of Illinois since about 2006 and been their treasurer since about 2008. Oh, wow. So the two of you are, are kind of – and wait, I'm sorry. Elsie, aren't you guys going on interest arb at this point? You're, there's a, uh, there's yeah, we have a lot of issues, issues going on. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I just had a conversation with somebody about that last week. So via con Dios. Um, but the two of you have – so you are very similar in the fire service. So before you got on Bolingbrook – where were you at uh, before that, working your way up? The southern parts of the state. Um, I worked down in Minocco. That's my hometown. Um, worked down there. I did a little time at Darien Woodridge before I made it over to Bolingbroke. To, to Bolingbroke. And yourself, where were you at? Uh, LaGrange Park Fire Department is paid on call. Okay, and then tested and got tested, on. Tested, got on in Elsa. Wonderful world of Elsa. That's right. What could po- Elsa, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> so how did this organization come to be? What What happened that was the impetus for creating Fire Service Women of Illinois? Uh, Back in about 2004, uh, Cheryl Horvath, she was with the Urbana Fire Department. She uh, met with some of the other individuals at IFSI, and they decided that there was a need to create a women's training organization that was a statewide organization, and so they started developing that with IFSI, that's Illinois Fire Service Institute's help. And that was back in 2004, and in about 2006, we became incorporated and started having trainings yearly through IFSI's help. So uh, are the trainings still to this day through IFSI? No. Right now, we're on our own. We're actually looking to go back and repartner with them to start doing some more hands-on training down in that area of the state. So so what type of training – like, so historically, what type of training – I mean, I know what I was involved in that I want to add was more – 
just legal aspects and in policies and procedures, but what other type of training is out there that you guys offer or want to start offering again? Originally, we focused specifically on just hands-on and trying to help women become better firefighters, being trained by other women, being able to train next to other women so that we can start sharing certain techniques that might help some of our individuals that are a little bit smaller in stature or just may not have the same physical strength that some of our other members do. Uh, Around 2015, we kind of went into a hiatus where we didn't really do any trainings, just more networking and meet and greets. And then in this past year, we've kind of reignited the organization and tried to get uh, symposiums going first, and then we'd eventually like to go back to do some hands-on training once a year. How many women, so dumb question, but I I was thinking about this on the way here. How many women in the fire, like how many of you are there in the state? Uh, So, I mean, in the state, I can, I mean, I can can guess. um, I would say our email listing, we're at probably about 200 for our email listing right now. Uh, We grow, I mean, daily, I get reached out by different people. You know, it's kind of, initially it was a lot of word of mouth. We're using a lot of social media to try to get um, our information out there. But um, these symposiums are a big help to get that the word out, um, you know, with Penry Grove brought six women from their department. I think I said at one point, the entire Penry yes. Grove fire department yeah. is female and yeah. was at the yeah. symposium, which there is was, amazing. Which like is 35 amazing. of them in the yeah. front row. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're trying to continue to grow those numbers and part of moving around the state is to try to pick up more people. We had a battalion chief from Peoria that was at the last symposium and yes. she graciously offered to host us. So we're definitely going to try to make our way down south to kind of incorporate some of those southern parts. She of asked the state. a lot of questions. She was super, yeah. she, that girl was super, that lady, she was super smart, man. She was Yeah, cool. and she has some younger female firefighters that she, you know, and, and that's part of, I think, where Rake and are, where, you know, we, you know, I've had my kids and I've been through these things, but I'm trying to help the people that are coming after me. And I think that that woman was specifically in that space where she's trying to advocate for some of the women in her organization and try to make things a little bit better for them as we kind of move along. So right now I know, so currently it's, it's symposium networking leadership issues. And then you guys want to go back into apparently what you've been doing before with physical. Yeah. In April we're going to, or I'm sorry, in May we're going to host a CPAT focused uh, training. So we're going to go to a facility and the girls are going to be able to just get hands on with CPAT uh, implements. Uh, That's kind of been one of the things that, you know, we do surveys to ask, you know, the women in our group, you know, what do you want to hear from us? What are, what are some things you're looking for? CPAT resoundingly keeps coming up for us. So we really want to be able to give them that hands on structure um, I think you left, but at that last symposium, we had somebody come in, speak maybe five, 10 minutes and brought a couple implements in and talked about, you know, where are some deficiencies that women are having in the CPAT? And we want to focus on that. And then April, we're doing a meet and greet at FDIC during the women's conference, which is um, April 24th. So we're going to do uh, an evening that we're going to do a meet and greet. And then we're looking to hook up with IFSI, do some hands-on training over there, and then Elgin Community College is uh, going to host us as well. So we're going to do a lot more hands-on training this year. Because you guys have a lot coming up. Yeah, for sure. And that's the goal is to con- – we really want to get something out there every three months, you know, whether that is a symposium where we sit down or we're doing more hands-on structured stuff. Yeah. And that will be throughout the – I mean, I'm assuming you'll then branch out to Southern Illinois and such eventually. Yeah, October-ish <laughs> we're looking to go sometime into Peoria and do some stuff down there. So okay. that's kind of the goal right now. You know, they're all kind of moving pieces, but – so just to show you how clueless, um, you, you just don't think about certain things. But I remember, so we were at the symposium. You, you, 
I'm sure you would remember this, but you told an incredible story that I remembered about planning. There was just no time off. Yeah. Yeah. When I, um, when I got pregnant, so fortunately at least there had been one woman that had worked at my, at my department that had had a child before I got there and there was no policy in place when she got pregnant. Um, and fortunately people donated time to her so she could get her time off. So when it came to, I was being going to become pregnant or thinking about it, our policy at the time was uh, modified duty if available. And that if part was concerning for me. Yeah. If parts of labor attorneys, it's always a gigantic. Yeah. And it's like, what, what does that mean? And, um, at to move. So when you're off that time after you've had the baby, those 12 weeks or whatever you choose to take, that time specifically had to be my time, my vacation, my holiday, my sick time. Well, I'm less than five years on the job. I don't have a huge sick bank. So now that becomes my vacation and holiday time. And I had to put it in spaces that were available. So I had to plan. Because there's just so many, you know, so many right. slots per day, like typical. Yeah. So I had to plan my pregnancy so that I would be, those 12 weeks off were off times of the year. So that had to be January, February. Uh, December, right? Where, right? where they weren't booked up. I My one child is in January and the other one's in February. Yeah. So, so you, right. weren't, you weren't having a kid on July 4th weekend. I absolutely was say. not. Yeah. No, right. right. Because again, I had to, and, and that's a struggle that, you know, it's not something, and our union's been great about trying to put protections in place for us, but it's just not something somebody thinks about. Right. And then, and then the scariest thing happened where two of us got pregnant at the same time. And then oh we're like, my God. Oh, what does this if mean now? Is if available, if there's one woman off pregnant? Okay, now there's two off pregnant, right? So then that we were like both panicking for a minute. Right. And one thing that did come out of that, and they were great about it, we removed that if, and now it's, it will be available. Yes, so that was, correct. that was big for us to right. get that change. So it was like two space aliens pregnant in the uh-huh. same, like, yeah. what do we do now? Do, do within two days of each other, right. I was telling the the the, the group when I was speaking there that I, I can distinctly remember when we hired our first female firefighter, Christina Jacobs, and she's fantastic. Uh, and she's, she's had a great career by us and will continue to do so. But we like literally I was telling like the crowd was laughing, but it was true. Like we looked at her like she was a total space alien. Yeah. Like we didn't know what to do. My fire chief's like freaking out, like researching OSHA standards. Like And that's the worst you know, thing to do. It, it to really put us in a space where we feel uncomfortable. We already know we're walking into the room and there's nobody that looks right. like there's us. There's eight of us in right. one of you. And then when you want to put together a bunch of policies because you're freaking out, okay, everybody has to wear shorts to bed now and everybody has to do this. That puts us in this weird space where now everybody's focusing on us and, and we don't want that. We're, we're not asking for that. Yeah. You know, we, we do want to be treated like everybody else when we're in those yeah. spaces. So, you know, we ask like, don't do those things. Right. Like, don't, should, don't there panic. Be, should there be burglar bars and alarm system in the female bunk room? <laughs> right. We're not really sure. You know, right. Exactly. You know what exactly. To do. Yeah, for so, sure. <laughs> well, but you have, I mean, Bolingbroke's a little bit bigger of a department, but like LSIP is is small. How many guys, how many How many of you in the LSIP local? Currently 33. So it's a little bit, I mean, it, well, I mean, you know, like a smaller to medium sized department. So how is that like in your career being on, was there the time off? Was there like, just didn't exist? Has it gotten better? Uh, so when I started, I was a first full-time female on the department. So a lot of things changed just to accommodate me, meaning they redid the bunk room. A lot of new policies came into place. So it was definitely a interesting culture to step into. Um, at that point in time, we were only getting about five sick days a year. That's what we were accruing. So when I did get to the point in my career where I wanted to take time off to possibly have a child, uh, we were going to go the IVF route. I actually had to save up all my sick days to make sure that I would be able to have that paid time off. And uh, 
right before then, I actually tore my ACL and had to be off for a certain number of months. So I actually went off without pay so I could save that time for when I would be doing IVF and be pregnant and everything with that. So you went off unpaid with a torn ACL in order to save up time for IVF and to have a kid. Right. Wow. Yeah. But the thing is, is now with the current chief, uh, when I did become pregnant, I did actually go and talk to him and we had a conversation and we talked about allowing for non-hazardous duty during maternity, which would mean I would be able to come back and either work my shift or work a Monday through Friday. And not a light duty assignment. Right. Yeah. But we don't have life duty for disabilities or anything like that. Like on the job injuries, it would just be specifically for pregnancy. And we don't either. We have modified duty only. So this was like the old days of the Wild West of trying to have children in the fire service. A hundred percent. And we have to think about, you know, how we change that, what's changed, because is this an impediment for women to join this profession? Yes. What do you, what, oh, I'm sorry. Just real quick for our uh, listening audience, um, those that don't know, we have a convention. The AFI has a convention every two years, and local delegates uh, submit resolutions. One of the resolutions in Peoria this past summer was to um, require our legislative team to seek out maternity, paternity leave legislation. So, um, as on Friday, House Bill 3908 was introduced and it's called the firefighter paid family leave act uh it will give you it's it would require the local government to provide six weeks of paid time off for birth of a child uh to adopt a child or a newly placed foster child so and that's um, not concurrent with benefit time as i recall that's correct that so it would be totally it's, separate it's a brand new bill introduced friday um by the afi based on a resolution from delegates that we you know, voted on and, and approved. So again, House Bill 3908, specific firefighter paid family leave act. I recall it because you had such an incredible parliamentarian walking you through that. With a wig on. With a wig on, mm-hmm. walking you through the Peoria Convention. That is correct. And it ended up really well. Yeah. So <laughs> she had that going for you, you know, which is nice. But I do have to say, I mean, so you guys are talking about Years ago, right? Not that long. I think you're both 25, so probably like, Perfect, like yes. two or three years you ago. You nailed right? it. I nailed it. <laughs> um, but I have noticed in my career representing the number of locals that uh, I represent, that we represent, that that it has been uh, a definitive change at the bargaining table in terms of, of this becoming important, right? So um, I can remember the time when it was just like – it was like wages, vacation, you're fighting for insurance – um, but I actually have been in rooms. It's not perfect. I'm not. It's by far. But I have been in rooms where there has not been a female member on the negotiating team. So there's like five guys. And I have had, you know, presidents and vice presidents say, no, like we have to try for maternity leave. We've got, you know, two women on the job and we have to do this. And so it is just remarkable the the And again, not perfect, but it's been remarkable the psychological change that I've seen probably over the last five to eight years where where it's more cognizant of that. It's not just like, nah, fuck that. We don't want to deal with pregnancy and right. uh, let's just go for like another half percent or something, you know? Yeah, and I think especially um, if you don't have any female people on your department, it's probably something you're not thinking about. It's not on your radar. But I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, what happens if you do hire them? You're three years into a four-year contract, right? So most women, when they're having these pregnancies, typically you're talking in their first five years of service, right? They're right. younger when they do this. 
if you have nothing in place and now this person, you've hired this person, they're two years on the job, but you still have two years before you do your contract. Well, what then? What do we do then? I was, I'm right? sorry I have to say this. I was, you know, you're trying to make the crowd laugh and you were talking about the first five years. And I said, oh, so we were at, I was at the symposium. I was like, oh, so you mean all of your breeding age females? Yes, yes. And, and the, <laughs> that captain or battalion from Peoria was laughing her ass yeah. off. She looks, she was like, you are a fucking idiot. <laughs> and then what happens when they're pregnant on probation? Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Right. Ah, what are you going to do? Know, Even more of a space alien. Yep. Right. So you were talking about um, a couple of minutes ago, I thought you said something that I thought was interesting, um, which was barriers to entry or people or women not taking the job because they, there might not be these protections in place. So from your standpoint, as we sit here today, what are the biggest barriers of entry to women in the fire service? Like, give me, if you can, I don't, you know, give me the, give me the top three or something. I mean, I would say f- one of the biggest things is just not understanding this is a career path for them. Right. And I think we run a camp in Bolingbrook for young high school girls for this exact reason. We have to start getting to them younger. We're talking junior high, high school before they're on a career path, right? Because I think for a lot of girls, they don't see us in this role. I think it's all about representation. So the more that you can have female firefighters out in the public and they can see us, see us represented, then these young girls think, oh, well, that maybe that is a career I path can do for that me. Too. Right, 100%. So I think some of it is just exposure to understanding this is their career path for them. And then, you know, the schedule is certainly something I think needs to be explained. That's one thing we talk about often when we go and we talk to the schools. You know, this is a great schedule for actually having kids. I work at 24 and then I have 48 hours off. I get to go to work and be a working mom, but then I can go be the room mom on Valentine's Day if I want to at my kid's school. It's not fun, but yeah. I can if I want You're to. You're like the fluoride lady? <laughs> yeah, it's horrible, <laughs> but I'll do it. But I think, I think that's a part of it too. Um, there's always that physical aspect of it where they don't understand Maybe they think it's too hard, so they don't know that it's approachable, that there's things that they can do. I am a person that fully believes you can train anybody to do anything physically. You know, maybe they're not where they need to be when they graduate high school. Maybe there's some things that they need to put in place to get themselves physically where they need to be. But I think that's completely doable. So I think that's certainly a piece of the puzzle. Is yeah, the physical I, I would imagine that the physical aspect. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, most women are smaller in stature compared to their male firefighter counterparts. Yeah. It just is what it is. 100%. And you're still putting the gear on and you're still swinging an axe and you still have the air pack and you still have to pull somebody, God forbid, my size out of a building. So, um, but I agree. I've seen some, um, I've seen women on, on different, on my department make huge strides physically in terms of strength and conditioning and yeah. training to be able to do that and pass the CPAD, et cetera. But I would agree though that that is probably a longer path as opposed for, you know, like someone my size. You know? For sure. And there's ways, and that's something we want to do is get, you know, be a networking space for young women so they have people they can talk to, ask these questions, and then get them exposure to, like you said, CPAT. What, what are some physical things that they need to do to kind of get themselves where they need to be to physically do this job? Yeah. How did you find, so child care, so you're gone for the 24 hours, you have a, you know, two-year-old at home. Like, how did, how did that work? What I had a nanny. (laughs) Um, I worked two jobs, right? Because to afford a nanny, you have to do that. Um, But I did. I had um, someone at home that took care of my kids because the big challenge, we were just talking about this on the way up, is that, you know, your mornings, right? And it doesn't matter what your husband does or your spouse does. You know, there's that morning issue, right? You're coming off a shift, 7 a.m., 
what do you do, right? Before you, you get home. The kids. 100%. So we had someone in the house to take care of our kids just because because the schedule was so crazy. And it was difficult to find a daycare that was like, all right, well, they're going to be here on Tuesday, but then we're not coming back again until next Wednesday because nobody wants to hold your space like that. And daycare is only, I think, like, I don't know, probably 10, 15 bucks a day for high quality daycare. <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Understand. super cheap. My, my wife's, uh, uh, her old patrol partner who's um, – they're still very, very good friends, uh, has three kids and told my wife at one point what they were paying for childcare because her husband's working or whatever. So that's like, I think it was like, you know, seven to three or whatever it was. Um, and it was, you know, it was the cost of a, of a, it was like a, like a very nice Ford every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100%. For healthcare. I was a star. I had no idea. Yeah. Childcare is crazy. Expensive. It was ridiculous. Yep. Um, I know a lot of guys use home daycare. That's helpful. Um, same thing because there's a little bit better with that time change in the mornings and stuff. I know a lot of guys use that as well. So what are the other – so I, we have, I have found – and but this this is nothing – this isn't – this is just a generational thing but probably impacts women a little, little, little harder. Um, a lot of people in their early to mid-20s just don't understand the contract and don't understand the benefits that are available though as well. Um, and we see that I, regardless, you know. Millennials just really don't understand defined benefit pension plans. They don't understand uh, the time off. Um, you know, there's there's family leave time off. There's Illinois Departments of Human Rights. I mean, all the stuff that we discussed at the at the symposium, though, too. So I would imagine that there's a lot of women out there that would un, would think to themselves, "How do I do 24 hours off or 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 get the time off?" Have you guys seen that in terms of your outreach and in, in symposium training, etc.? Well, we always allow time at the end of our symposiums for some networking, and I think that's where a lot of these questions are discussed and answered from some of the senior members that are part of the organization, because a lot of times you do get into the fire service and you don't have anyone that's mentoring you or willing to sit down and actually give you the ins and outs of how to like work the contract in your favor kind of thing or to how to work the schedule in your favor. And that's where I think this organization is important because we do uh, try to address all of these things for the younger firefighters so they are aware of what's out there for them and how to figure out daycare I mean, especially a lot of these women are single mothers out there. I mean, just handling that or even single fathers out there, you know, how do you do that with being on shift for 24 hours and being off for 48? So I think uh, our organization does fill that void and being able to explain all those things to our members. I think that there were a lot of women in that symposium that, again, I was fortunate enough to attend that were surprised by the level of um, benefits that are out there, which clearly isn't enough. I mean, if, if AFFI is introducing a bill, it's because there's a need for it, right? But yeah. even so, it's certainly incredibly better than what it was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, we just had ago. somebody reach out asking us um, about they're getting ready to put some stuff in their contract and asking us, uh, you know, what some language, what it looks like. So we reached out to everybody in our group and we got a bunch of people's contracts back and we've got kind of, we're compiling a list of what some people's contracts look like, which are pretty interesting actually when you kind of start to read through what's in place. But this thing comes up a lot about modified duty. What do we do when we're pregnant? When do we come off? What does it look like when we're off? What what does FMLA mean? And there's a lot of people out there that don't know what is applicable for them or they're afraid to go to their union representation and ask these questions. And that's something we have to do better at because we shouldn't have women, A, worrying about not having a child at all or putting it off because 
they don't think that the benefits apply to them, and then staying longer on shift than they should while they're pregnant. I have found most chief in, in you know, again, the the networking that you do with women in the fire service is well beyond anything I've ever done. But in terms of like phone calls to like to my office, I have found most vast majority of chiefs accommodating, like, okay. You know, you're at month, whatever. You don't feel comfortable. Yeah. Is that what you guys are seeing now in this day and age or any? I, I just haven't seen too much where um, where someone's having problems with that. Now, in terms of what type of benefit time, are you on your own time or paying, right. et cetera? Sure, we have those fights all the time. But generally speaking, I think there is an understanding there that, okay, at some point you're you're coming off the line. If you guys – would you agree with me on that in terms of I think 2023? Mo- yeah, I think most of the time I don't think you have a problem with the chief being accommodating per se. I think the bigger issue is they're scared to have the conversation in the first place. And I think that's delaying people going off. And we're not here to tell anybody when that decision needs to be made. Um, you know, that's a decision you need to make with your doctor. And certainly the research has changed. Um, I was on shift uh, till my third or to my first trimester with both my kids. I was in fires with both my kids. If I had to do it all over, I would not do that. I'd be off the line as soon as I was pregnant, based on the research that they've done and some of the concerns out there. Um, but I knew that I had the protections in place of my union contract, so I knew what those things were. There was somebody that came before me, so I wasn't as worried. But if I was the only woman on a department, and I this had never happened. I'm, no. I might be concerned and might be a little worried about having that conversation because, again, going back to these girls are probably five years on the job or less. So, right. you know, they don't. They might not never have been in the chiefs. A hundred percent. Exactly. So you might. Right. So what exactly. you're saying, like, at some point, if that if it is a male fire chief, you have to just be like, all right, here's the 800 pound elephant in the room. You're pregnant. How are we going to do this? Right. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. No. For yeah. sure. The other thing is I have I have found. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know one way or another. But what I would tell you is, is that the frequency of instances of of very egregious behavior that women have been subjected to over the years in the firehouse, I have seen that in my experience dissipate a little bit because there's there's just so many more of you now, and it just becomes regular. Um, I've dealt with just some unbelievably horrific uh, disciplinary examples, um, few and far between. Uh, because the vast majority are incredibly professional, but it does happen. I mean, it, it does happen from time to time. Um, but I think that what I've seen over the last, again, probably like five to eight years, I don't know that, but probably like the last five to eight years are those examples uh, um, are remarkably few and far between now. Do you guys see that as well? Do I have that right or, or no? I don't, I don't know, but just in terms of what we see in our office. I think overall, because there's more women within the fire service, I think it's becoming more commonplace, though the problems have diminished, at least in the severity overall, but they are still present throughout. I just don't think that they're maybe as uh, common as they were in the past. I mean, one instance of something is too much, right? But at, at the end of the day, so, yeah, I mean, you're not saying, well, you know, it's less frequency, so deal with it. But I have seen where you're it's there's more women in any of these departments. It's more accepted, more understood. Um, and you know, you're always going to have circumstances of that. You can't have thousands and thousands of people working together and not have examples of just horrible, unforgivable behavior. But what I found is 
uh, at least in terms of notification to our office, it is less common now. So whether that, I mean, I guess that's better than a sharp stick in the eye. Uh, but yeah. I think it's something that you have to discuss with women in the fire service. Yeah, I mean, right? I, I definitely think it's, I mean, I can tell you in my career, it's definitely gotten better from when I started for sure. And I think you're right. Having more women in the fire service is a key to that. One of the things with that um, research study that they've looked into, they did some research on discrimination and harassment to see kind of where it's at and what, what are people still experiencing. And percentage-wise, um, 40% of the study that they did was shunning and isolation was people, what they experienced. Privacy in showers, dormitory, or changing areas, that was 29%. Um, verbal That's harass- weird. We can't watch you shower. <laughs> I didn't understand. Huh. Um, I got that all wrong. Yeah. So things like, you know, sexual advances, those have come down. So that's good news. Um, hostile stuff, that stuff has come down. But just sort of those other things kind of, you know, chimed up. I think they're doing a better job of trying to make accommodated facilities. Uh, I know we've done that where I work. You know, when I started, we had communal bathrooms and, you know, kind of communal yeah. areas to sleep and not that it didn't really bother me but that's something that has changed for sure because I, I think and I'm sure you've seen that there's been litigations about not having privacy and bathrooms oh, sure. and all that kind yeah, of stuff absolutely. so yeah 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 I, I think we've definitely got better I actually I actually have multiple instances and circumstances of male firefighters in classes etc speaking up uh, when a guy's getting out of pocket or maybe saying something you know, stupid or taking things too far, where I have other male, like specific examples of other male firefighters, like, hey, you should probably knock that the fuck off. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And yeah. that's cool, right? Like, yeah. that just shows that I think, not that it's working, because I don't want to diminish you, because, you know, again, one out of a thousand is too many, but it shows that there's at least recognition. Um, that we have to police our own with certain things. And I've seen that. And I thought that was really, I thought that was pretty cool. I was kind of proud of that, that there were people out there saying, well, that's just, hey, man, it's 2023. It's not 1980 anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. I think, I think it, it, like I said, I think it is getting better. And I think that's getting better across the board, right? Because it's, it's not just women that can be <laughs> offended inside of a firehouse, right? We have younger <laughs> generation of people and they have different... Um, well, millennials are just offended by everything. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but yes. Brain. So, yeah, we have to be Wait, I have to clean the bathrooms? Better. Yeah. I have, have to, to clean the bathrooms? Better for them, yes, for sure. Is Loretto offended a lot or not? Loretto is just too, I don't know. He just walks around and just stares out the window a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's a little too clueless to be offended one way or another. So... Just follow up real quick um, on, a, on a couple of topics that we've already talked about. Um, the AFFI formed a human relations committee right. about two and a half years ago. It consists of uh, black, Latino, Asian, and female firefighters. And um, they created model language, I think. Correct, Luke? So if you guys don't have that uh, or if any listeners want it. I've proposed that model language. It's fantastic. Yeah. Jerry Marzullo is an attorney for those that didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, the and best. Asher, Asher get lawyer. The guy behind the guy oh, yeah. behind they, the guy. Are they sponsoring this episode? Keeping the ship afloat. Huh? Good. We got our bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, see, we discount the bill beforehand, so that's pretty much your sponsorship. So it's good. We screw the other guy and pass the savings on Less per hour, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And then this is just actually a question for both Christy and, and, and Reka. Um, you obviously, you know, you've been around the fire service. I would call you both veterans of the fire service. Officers. Um, you both you just officers. said we're old. They did. Yeah. You, they uh, did. without saying you're old. Like 27. Um, right. You understand how strenuous, how exhausting, 
how dangerous, how physically de demanding the job is. Would you say that the CPAD is a fair test? I think it certainly is fairer than when I started. Uh, I did a lot of combat challenges and you would go, I would do three a weekend mm. and everyone I went to was different. Some of them never had fitting gear, that kind of stuff. Sure. I think there's some things that we could do um, specific to, if you look at the places where we're having issues, um, the, stair, the stair climber is one issue uh, and ill-fitting vests is reported a lot. And, you know, is there an option to get a smaller vest in there, right? I don't think we're changing much when we ask for that because if I take somebody who's 6'5 and I'm 5'1 and we both are wearing a vest, it's going to hit me on the legs. And now that's challenging for me to do the climb with that vest hitting me in the legs. So if we had a vest that fit me properly, that would make that a little bit easier for me. And that, I feel, is just making yeah, me the 6'5 guy, right, sure. we're the yeah. same now. Right. I'm not asking for an advantage. I'm just asking to be the same as you. Right. So I definitely think that there's um, some room to make some adjustments on it that I think continue to make it fair. Um, I think we, we clearly have to have something in place that's fair consistently mm -hmm. because having a department that kind of structures their own has its own challenges right. as well. And I think the CPAT, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the only one test physical agility test that's withstood like supreme court oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. it's okay. reasonable it's it's a uniform standard and i right. think that chris i think the term that you use that's that's most beneficial is consistency yeah um, because i i do remember that i remember like testing in our department it was you know every time you would test it was a it was a different uh, you know this there's a ladder climb this one is a is a hose follow now we're not going to do that we're going to do this this dummy's so. 150 this one's 210 right. yeah yeah 30 second arm hang right yes oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 but Ricky, you agree the cpats absolutely yeah. and i like it that when you walk in you know what the standard is that you're trying to achieve and you know if you pass it or not when you leave right because i think there's, that's one thing you know there are um departments perhaps that are more lenient um, you know, and, and speaking for our entire membership, we don't want it to water down. No. You just want something consistent and yeah. fair, fair right. and equitable. And okay. I think, the, and this is a challenge for us, and this is part of our organization too, I think one challenge that women have with the CPAD is they don't have exposure to the implements, mm -hmm. so they don't know how to do some of these things, and that's where we're hoping some of the things that we do come in to teach them how to swing that, you know, yep sledge a little bit better, more efficiently, um, to be able to, you know, raise a ladder, those kind of things that if they've never been exposed to any of it, they just don't know how to right. do it. And to find, like, I'm not going to have the upper body strength that a man's going to have, but I have very good lower body strength, right? So we have to use those advantages that we have and, and use those implements in a way that works effectively for us. And I think that's a training issue more than anything. I, I, like I said, I think anybody can be trained to do something. It's just a matter of putting in putting in some, that work some younger you know some 23 year old not exposed to the fire service walks into the seat pants like okay go ahead raise the ladder like fuck right <laughs> they have no idea how to do it 100 percent. Right. exactly and the thing is in reality men might have been exposed to it if they helped around the house but most women aren't expected to be throwing ladders cleaning gutters you know at the age of 15 right to help out the family or anything so unless you grew up on a farm and then uh, well i mean then you did <laughs> God, you just brought back horrible childhood experiences. <laughs> terrible. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You were on a farm? No, I was not oh, okay. on a farm. He was cleaning uh, gutters. Yeah, uh, ladder raises and having a father who's a sociopath oh. was uh, pretty much the, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> so I had that going for me, which trains you for brutal firehouse jokes back mm -hmm. and forth. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what else are we missing? What else should females 
listening to this know and or their male counterparts listening? What have we not discussed? One of the big concerns that uh, has been brought up consistently on our surveys is um, we need more research into fertility with women in the fire service, also including men. But just because our numbers are so much lower on the female side, there isn't much research out there. So that is a concern. And it, just like cancer is a big concern with firefighters across the board, it is something that is consistently coming up that our females are having issues with. So you mean in, in terms of exposure to toxins, particulates, et cetera, and what the effect that of that on fertility rates? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there just really is no study out there yet as to what exactly is causing the problems, but there is something with firefighting, whether it's the high heat exposures that were, whether it be during training or actual fires, or it's the actual toxins that we're exposed to. Something's causing fertility issues. What? I never would have guessed that was on the I, I had no idea. Yeah, the Centers for um, Fire Rescue and EMS Health Research, uh, we had Maria Copel that was out. She spoke after you. Um, well, that's a hard act to follow. Yeah, I feel bad. <laughs> she did say that. Yeah. She did. Um, but one of the things that they, you know, they've done some minimal research on it because, again, there's not a lot of women, right? So it's tough to get those research studies going. But we're uh, two times higher risk for miscarriage in the fire service. Um, exposures to, like you said, toxic chemicals, the high heat, loud noises, all of those are causing uh, preterm uh, deliveries, lower birth weights, and fertility in men is decreasing as well. So there's definitely something here, and it's definitely something that we need to get funding, get the research together, and figure out, like I said, what's going on there. I really appreciate you guys sharing just – different things that you would never think of, like the vest for the CPAP. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, my, again, my wife would tell a story like she'd be in a, uh, there was no bulletproof vests that were made for the contours of a female. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know, you know how to say this, but you know, women have breasts, right? Uh -huh. So it's, uh, and, uh, and some men, <laughs> um, but you know, she would go to put on the bulletproof vest and she's like, you have no idea what it's like when you can't, you have to like wear this thing that's fitted for a man and you have to wear it for eight and a half hours a day. And by the end of the shift, you're just fucking miserable. Yeah. So that's some of the stuff that we just don't think the about. The ill-fitting gear. That's And that's part of the research that they say is causing maybe some of the cancer fertility issues is ill-fitting gear. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you, I didn't have a female pair of pants probably up until the last 10 years of my career. They're all just male male pants. Right. Same with my firefighting gear. It was always ill-fitting gear because there just wasn't anything for us. And a lot of times you're just quiet about it. You're just not going to say anything, what right? Gonna I'm just going to take my stuff because I'm trying to be this wallflower and, and fit in. So I'm just going to take what I got and I'm not going to say a word about it. But meanwhile, you're wearing ill-fitting gear. And now we found out that could be a detriment to your health. So like we can't, we can't do that. Right. Yeah. Anything else we're missing? I was. I would say the only thing is that you know I really would encourage women to have a good relationship with their union executive board, talk to them about some of these policies, um, know what you're entitled to as far to, as far as your modified duties, your FMLA, all of that stuff, because that's 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 very important for you to for planning and and have these open conversations with your executive board and on the executive board side, you know, talk to the women that work for you. Get their perspective on some of these things. And if you don't have a woman, I encourage you to put those things in place because you might. You might hire one. Well, I think just a step more than that, you'd love to see more women run for executive board positions. For sure. Pension board positions and, you know, get themselves involved and yeah. uh, et cetera from that perspective. Because in the times that – in the times that there have been female, whether you're bargaining for police or fire, whatever, in there are times that there have been female members of the 
executive board, I found that there's a there, it is a completely different perspective where you you know you get in the car after that and you're like. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I mean, maybe we should like fucking think about that or something, you know? Like, you know? Right. I mean, so, all right. And then how, uh, so if somebody is out there and wants to learn more about your organization. We have, so? we're on Facebook and Instagram, uh, Fire Service Women of Illinois. We also have um, an email account if you want to just email us, uh, which we can, I assume, put the link in our, your guys' description. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. You can put that on there. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'll put all that in there. But yeah, uh, either reach out via email or through our social media and look for something in um, May and April. We will be at FDIC. So April will be at FDIC yep. and then May uh, somewhere in the state of Illinois doing something. That's We're doing CPAT some training. That's a CPAT. CPAT training is going to be in May. PSP yeah. Academy. Yeah. Is that the one down in Peoria? Is that what you just said? Wait. Peoria is, we're doing October, we're going to do Peoria, but the PSP Academy is going to be May. That's going to be the CPAT. Okay. All right. Very good. But you don't have an exact date yet. Do we have an exact date? I thought it was May 20th, but I'd have to double check. We can put It'll that definitely on go on our Facebook social media when it's page. the okay. official date. When I's are dotted yes. and T's are yes, crossed. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you both for coming out. I think this was really, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was, um, it was educational. Uh, educational. Sure. And a much different perspective. Um, and I th- see things, at least in my experience, going a different direction. Yeah. Better thanks. direction. Thanks so, for having us. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Awesome. All right. That's it. Thank that's you guys. That. Take care. See you.